afternoon, everyone. This is Jess Robinson, your host, and we are in another episode of Going Beyond Salvation. It would be episode 10 is where we're at. We're at 10 episodes. So I did not post yesterday. What ended up happening was I was working and I ended up working through my lunch um, because I'm going to be spending some time with my husband on Martin Luther King Day um, because he works for a bank and they're actually closed and spending some time and going up to Billings for an appointment up there and so we ended up I, I was working to try to get some assignments done so I could take time off of work. And um, during that day, I had woken up with a headache and thought that maybe it was just a position that I'd slept and thought as I would go throughout my day that it would go away. And it started to get worse. And by the time I left... Um, I was driving home. I was having a hard time concentrating as I was driving home and even like talking to my mom. I had a hard time talking to her. So, um, and it was just hard because the headache was just hurting and I was having to deal with people who do not want to turn off their brights on the highway. So I was praying for those people as well. And then I got home and I just, it was to the point I couldn't even cook dinner. I just said, we're just going to have a salad. (laughs) That's all I wanted at that point. And I curled up, you know, had an ibuprofen curled up on my lazy boy and thought, you know, I'll, I'll rest for a bit, see if I can post a podcast. And it just wasn't working. I was just falling asleep and I just knew that I needed to rest. And I could just feel the Lord saying, you need to just sleep and get better. So I'm doing better this today. And um, so we're here with a podcast. So continuing on, um, we ended in Genesis. um, And I noticed I did not say what to read, but I did put in the show notes when what our reading is and I'm going to start doing that just in case I end up forgetting to read off so always just read the show notes at the end of the episode description so um we're we're to read you know Genesis the rest of chapter 21 and all the way through chapter 23 and what ends up happening is um last time we saw at the end uh, that Isaac is born. And as we pick up in, in 21, we see that Isaac, he grows and he ends up being winged. And on the day he was winged, Abraham holds this great feast because it's a celebration. But during that time, Sarah sees that Ishmael, um, who is the son of Hagar, that had been born to Abraham, He's mocking Isaac. And she pretty much goes and tells Abraham that Hagar and Ishmael have to go because he has they have no inheritance in in Isaac's inheritance there. 
And it actually distresses Abraham. And I could see why it was distressing him because that was his son. And he, you could tell that he does love his son and doesn't want him to leave. But the Lord, you know, assures him that he, that, you know, he needs to let Hagar and Ishmael go. He needs to send them away because, you know, it's through Isaac that, you know, your offspring's going to be reckoned. And, you know, however, he does promise to make Ishmael into a nation as well. So he's not just shoving Ishmael aside and saying, yo, he's not, I, I reject him. He doesn't. He just says, you know, he needs to leave. And I can see that for, for that reason. And so he, and you'll see later on too, like in, in the Bible where, you know, the, um, where priests end up telling uh, the Israelites, you know, that get with foreign women and have children, you're going to have to send them off because the Lord wanted this separate nation. He wanted somebody set apart. And so he sends, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael. And we see this story about where Hagar, she thinks that Ishmael's going to die. She puts him in one spot and then goes to another spot. So she doesn't have to see him die. But the, as she's crying and then the, and the boy is crying, the Lord intervenes and he just says, you know, don't worry. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm going to make him into a great nation and there's this well of water. And so the Lord ends up providing for Ishmael. You know, he had a purpose for Ishmael. You know, paralleling his purpose for Isaac, namely that he would make him into a great nation, not into many nations, but a great nation. And so we see that Ishmael, you know, he ends up growing up. He lives in the desert. He becomes an archer. And we see at that point, um, Hagar gets a, a wife for him and from Egypt. And we'll talk about Ishmael's lineage um, on a future date. And so we'll end with there, but then we continue back on to, to the story of Abraham and Abimelech, you know, the person that Abraham lied to comes to him and he says, you know, the Lord is with you. And, you know, he wants him to make a treaty that, that, you know, Abraham's not going to deal falsely with him and his descendants. And, you know, he wants Abraham to show the same kindness as he has shown him. And, and so Abraham decides he's going to make this treaty, but, you know, he does tell Abimelech, you know, about this well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech doesn't realize that that happened. And so they make this treaty and Abraham calls it Beersheba, where there was a treaty made. And pretty much what ends up, what I saw from this is you see that Abimelech sees that the Lord is with Abraham and and everything that Abraham does. And in we can relate in that in real life. As a believer, you know, when you 
choose to set yourself apart from the world and you, you know, you're seeking after the Lord, you're reading your word and you're applying the word to your life and living, you know, Christ-like, it, it starts to show to people like this past week, like the Lord has just really showed me, you know, how much, you know, how much I, I am making a difference in people's lives. You know, I, on Monday, this woman came into the office and she had tears in her eyes and I had written a retirement article. She had retired, um, in December, um, from her job. And she just knew that the Lord had told her it was time to retire. It was, you know, it was just time. She knew it was time to retire, um, after time of prayer. And, um, I had written this article and, you know, you, as a newspaper reporter, when you see somebody coming in and they want to talk to you and you've written an article about them, your stomach starts to quench because you're wondering, what did I do wrong? But she comes in and she just says, I just want to let you know that I just love the article that you wrote. And it was just so beautiful. And and she just was really appreciative. And she felt bad because she hadn't come to me like during the holidays to, you know, say thank you because I'd written it right before Christmas. And I just said, you know, no, it's okay, you know. Everybody is so busy during Christmas and New Year's. It didn't bother me, you know. But she just, and she was just like, oh, and I, because I, um, every other week I write editorials. And it, it's been hard for me the last few months to really share my heart because my heart is with Christ. And we pretty much just got informed, like, back in it was in August when it happened that we were told we could not share our faith anymore in editorials. And it's like, it was hard. Like, it was hard for me because it's like, that's who I am. And, you know, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to obey that. But, you know, I was just like, okay, I got to, Lord, you're going to have to help me get around this. And this woman said to me, she's like, I've read your editorials and she's like, your heart is in the right place. And, and she's like, I appreciate what you write about. And like, she left. And so I was like, okay. And then Tuesday night, the person who proofreads for us, she does it part-time and she proofreads. And I was staying late because I had school board and she told me, she's like, I really appreciate the editorials you write. You know, she's like, your heart's in the right place. And they left. And I sat there and I'm like, I knew that that was the Lord speaking to me. And so when we are set apart, people are going to notice. And that's what, you know, I think there are people out there that, you know, as I'm sitting there and thinking about it, there's people out there that are looking for that, for for somebody who's going to be set apart because, you know, I think there's so much sadness. There's so much, there's people living in fear. There's people living in bondage. They're looking for somebody who is different and set apart. 
you know, because that gives them hope and it, and it gives a reason for us to share our hope with, with people that are struggling in that area. And so, you know, don't let, you know, don't hide from your faith, you know, stand up for it and be that light. And, and it's just as simple as being honest at work. It's simple as, you know, paying for, for somebody who can't pay for their groceries or helping somebody get across the street, you know, it's living different. And even your attitude, having this attitude that is, you know, not divisive and appreciative, that's going to speak volumes to people. So, you know, that was something that I took from just this story and this little Bible story. And, you know, people are going to say there's something different about you and they want to get to know you even more. And that opens up the door for us to share our faith when people see that difference. So continuing on in, in Genesis, we come to chapter 22 and God comes and he tests Abraham with, I, with, with Isaac. And he says, you know, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of, of Moriah, sacrifice him there has a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So, you know, Abraham gets this test because a test of faith, because he's been promised about Isaac. And then all of a sudden the Lord's telling him, you need to sacrifice him. You know, to be honest as a person, if I was told to sacrifice my own child, I'd be like, what? You know, it would be shattering, but you see something different in Abraham. And I think it's just this faith that he had in the Lord. You know, you see this strong faith because the next morning, you know, Abraham, they get up, you know, he got up, saddled his donkey and, you know, he takes with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac, and, you know, they get the wood for the burnt offering and they set out for the place God had told him about. And then three days later, you know, he looks up, he sees the place where they're supposed to go. And he just tells his servants, you know, stay here with the donkey while, while me and the boy go up. And, and this is where it's interesting. He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you, which the word we means that he was saying him and Isaac are coming back. So there was just this faith that, you know, he had this strong faith and conviction about the promises God had given him about Isaac. And, you know, we see in this story that Isaac, he's a type of Christ. Um, and himself, you know, he gave himself to his father for a sacrifice unto death and and then he's also being saved from death as an act that corresponds to Christ's resurrection so they go up there and even Isaac he says you know dad you know we have the wood but where's the lamb that's for this burnt offering and Abraham he responds that 
God's going himself is going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And, you know, it's prophetic. And we're going to see how it's prophetic because as he gets ready to, you know, sacrifice his son, you know, he gets him ready. He's about ready to sacrifice him. And the Lord stops him and he's like, you know, he stops him and the Lord says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your, your son, your only son. And so, you know, as we were talking with our youth group, the reason why God, I think, tested Abraham was to see if he could trust him um, with this promise, if he could trust him. And it was a big trust thing. And I think he was, and, you know, Abraham gave his hope to, to the Lord. And we see at that point, Abraham looks up and there's a ram. It's not a lamb, but it's a ram. And it's prophetic because it's God providing a substitute sacrifice of a ram. However, the ultimate fulfillment of Abraham's statement is found in God providing his one and only son, which is Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice at Golgotha for the redemption of humankind. So the Heavenly Father himself did what he had asked Abraham to do in return. And it's just this big prophecy about God is going to one day sacrifice his one and only son. And so there's this sacrifice and the Lord says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so he, he continues to emphasize this promise that Abraham's going to become, you know, there, his offspring, there's going to be nations, all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed, which is fulfilled through Jesus. And, you know, that's pretty much chapter 22, you know, we, and we can relate to that before I continue on, you know, we can relate to that. The Lord is sometimes going to ask us, you know, to surrender something to him and to see if he can trust us, you know, and we have to surrender when he tells us to surrender, you know, our Facebook to surrender, um, I've heard people say, you know, he asked me to surrender his hunting, surrender drinking, surrender, you know, even he'll say, surrender your family, because sometimes our family can become our idols. It, we have to trust him that for the promises, especially when he tells us to surrender our family to him, it's, we have to trust him on the promises and the what he has for our family, what he has for our husbands and our our nieces and nephews and our kids and grandkids. We have to surrender that to him. And 
So that is like the hugest thing. Like, you know, for me, you know, it's a, a daily thing to surrender my husband to to the Lord and and let the Lord work in him, which the Lord has. You know, as a wife, you want to fix your husband, but you can't. You know, it's not our duty to fix our husband. Our duty is to encourage and love them unconditionally and and to serve them in the best way possible. And so we surrender everything about our husband, even the things we do not like to the Lord and and trust. You know, I trust in him that, you know, trust the Lord that he has the best for my husband, that he, you know, he has promises for my husband and that they're going to be fulfilled in his timing and as my husband seeks after him. So that's pretty much chapter 22 other than there is a section about Nahor, which is a family member of, of Abraham. And that's um, crucial because um, Isaac is going to find a bride through that family line. So, or Isaac's going to get a bride through that family line. We'll see in tomorrow's podcast about the Abraham sending a servant to go find this bride. So, continuing on in chapter 23, then there's, you know, the saddest thing happens is Abraham's wife, Sarai, she lives to be 127 years old, and then she dies. And... Abraham mourns for her. You know, there's such this love that he mourns. And he looks for a place to bury his wife. And he goes to the Hittites. And we see this this situation where he buys a grave. You know, a, a cave, the, the cave of Machpelah. And we see... In scripture, it reveals that the only piece of land in Canaan that Abraham actually ever possessed was a grave. That's all he ever had. You know, his descendants did not begin to possess the promised land of Canaan until the time of Joshua. And that's going to be many books later, you know, and... You know, it it points to the life of faith that waits till the end of life for the full reward of one's trust in God. So we believers, like Abraham, we can't set our hearts ultimately on things of this earth. You know, we must desire for the heavenly things. Like we were talking about storing up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. It's not saying that, you know, you can't have a house. You can't, you know, have a car or... You know, you can't have nice things, but you shouldn't set your heart on those things. So, you know, that's pretty much chapter 23. And um, for Genesis, and um, we already kind of talked about Psalm chapter 7. We're still, we're almost finished with Proverbs 1. It'll probably be this next episode that we talk about Proverbs but we're jumping into Matthew and finishing Matthew chapter 7. 
So we're going into math or finishing Matthew chapter seven, which is finishing the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about a wise and foolish builder that, you know, and taking the words of his and putting them into practice, you know, and that is being like a wise man who built his home on the rock. And when the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. You know, that rock is Jesus. And we can relate to that in life, that when we are surrendered to the Lord, and, you know, it's talking about surrendering to the Lord, even in the good times, surrendering and and making Jesus as our Lord and Savior, getting into the word and applying the word, you know, into our lives and letting it flow. You know, we see this thing about a storm and it's because, you know, there are storms of life that are going to hit, you know, there's, and, you know, it's when we set ourselves upon that rock you know, when the storms of life hit, it's going to beat upon us, but we're going to have this solid foundation and it's not going to rock us to, you know, you know, we're going to feel it, but at the same time, we're holding on to the rock and it's going to help us to stand. You know, I, you know, there's, and then those who don't, you know, and those who do not, you know, put into practice, you know, they're not getting into their word. They're not fellowshipping with other believers. They're not having this prayer life with Jesus. When that storm comes, they're not going to be prepared. It's like the the foolish man who, you know, builds his house on sand and it just, everything crumbles. When we're putting our trust in, in worldly things, we're putting it essentially our trust on things that are sand, things that are going to crumble. And, you know, we have to continually, you know, cling to the rock, which is Jesus, you know, clinging to that rock. And when, you know, I think about, you know, the times where, where things have happened, you know, when we first came back to Powell after being in Laramie, I just remember that, things were great. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was just, we realized, you know, my husband couldn't stay at Walmart, you know, he was working at Walmart and just things were not going good there. And I could just see that the enemy was really attacking him and things just, it just seemed like things were not coming together. And but I remember just clinging to the word and clinging to Jesus. And I was meeting, you know, with a good friend, you know, for coffee. And, you know, she, we were, her and I were having prayer time together and, and all of that. And just, I remember that encouragement I got and, you know, knowing, and I could just remember the times that I was having, the prayer times I was having with the Lord, and the Lord was just continually speaking to me in his word that, that, you know, and I remember there was a time I was praying, and the Lord spoke to me, and he's like, I already have something for Jay. 
I have something for him and it's coming. You just got to trust me, you know, and in my timing. And he did, he did came through, you know, and it was, it was the Lord moving because my husband went to the bank that he works at now and he was getting money from this bank and we always had seen that there was a teller position and Powell open but we felt like we had heard it was a conflict of interest years ago so he wouldn't apply and then he walked in and the manager had been thinking about me and she went up to my husband and he was like well I'm actually the one looking for a job and it was it was all the Lord, you know, and it just happened so fast, um, how the Lord moved and, you know, and not all the promises that he has for my husband are fulfilled, you know, not all the promises that he has for both of us are fulfilled, but it was, you know, a test of our faith. And the Lord was just continually telling us to cling to that rock and, and to, to let go of these things in the past. And it was, and that's what it is. And, you know, and I know there's people, you know, I see people, believers who, you know, they have a death of a family member or, you know, and it's unexpected and it's actually tragic or, you know, or um, people that I know that their their kids are sick and just seeing the faith that they have and standing on that rock, which is Jesus, which is our hope. And our salvation. And in turn, you know, we're able to testify to those around us who see what is happening to us. And we're able to testify of, of the goodness of God. And so we can cling on to that. And, um, you know, and that pretty much closes out his Sermon on the Mount. And... You know, and we just see that this crowd, they're just amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. And then it continues on in chapter 8. And we go through um, verse 13. The first thing that happens is he comes across a man with leprosy. And leprosy was like, for him to even, when the man with leprosy, he just comes and kneels before Jesus. Like, I can imagine the situation because there's this... There's these crowds following him. And then all of a sudden there's this man with leprosy that's supposed to say unclean, unclean comes. It's breaking this social barrier because people with leprosy could not be next to people who were clean. They weren't even supposed to be in the same camp practically. So this man is coming and he's just, you see the faith of this man coming up to Jesus because he's setting aside, you know, the social stigma, what he's supposed to actually be doing. And he comes up to Jesus and kneels him and Jesus doesn't shrink away. And, you know, he, he's like, I'm willing to heal you be clean. And this man is healed instantly. And then you see him say, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded and as a testimony to them. I think what it, and, and we can relate to that to this day because I believe in divine healing still happens to this day. Um, and we see 
it's a, a how we believe in divine healing is you know you pray for the person they're healed but we also believe in going to the doctor and verifying it and you know because I remember there was a woman in our church years ago she had cancer in her throat and she was on oxygen and she came up and asked for prayer and so we all surrounded her prayed over her and you could just feel the spirit moving and that there was some kind of breakthrough but she was still like on oxygen you know her neck was still puffed up and she said later on that day she was able to get away from the oxygen and she didn't need that oxygen anymore like she was breathing just fine and then she went to the doctor they were getting ready they were preparing her for what she was going to have to go through next. They looked at her and they're like, there's something different. And they do another test and it shows that she had no cancer in her throat anymore. And this, the Lord has divinely healed this woman over and over again. And every time she comes for prayer and I mean, she's, she comes for prayer and then, you know, she goes back to the doctor and gets it verified. And that's something we need to do is when we're healed, we need to get it verified because one, it's a testimony to a doctor in which, you know, I know doctors that are believers and there's nothing wrong. You know, people, there are stigmas about believer or, you know, Christians, especially Pentecostal that we do not believe in going to the doctor. That is not true. I, I go to the doctor and, you know, because I know that God can use a doctor to heal somebody. For example, if you have strep throat, we have antibiotics. The, you know, go to the doctor if you have strep throat. Do not, you know, be ignorant and say, I'm just going to let the Lord heal me. You can pray for a healing and say, Lord, heal me, give wisdom to the doctor. And that's why I continually you know, pray for with people that the the Lord would give wisdom and discernment to, to the physician and guide the surgeon's hands if there's a surgery, you know. The, the Lord has used physicians to heal people, but he also does reserve, you know, those to give, you know, he he uses divine healing still. And there are situations, you know, and like, for example, you know, right now my mom has a couple of years ago when we were first in Laramie, um, that winter, it was hard because my mom was having what was like seizure-like activities, almost like having a heart attack, but they've never really figured out what is wrong with her. And the doctor's last year pretty much just told her there's only so much you know that's as much as we can do so she's at this point where she we're we're believing and agreeing over a healing in her body and that is what we've done and is trusting in the Lord for a healing and continually praying for a healing and believing that she is healed because this is you know, the word says she is healed and that the Lord has fearfully and wonderfully made her. 
And so when it comes to healing, you know, if you are divinely healed, make sure to go get it verified and then don't be afraid to or feel guilty if you go to a doctor. You know, and sometimes and I there was a woman in, there's a woman in our church. She's very wise and she said, "Go to the doctor anyway because we have to know specifically what to pray for." So, you know, get don't be afraid to go to a doctor. You know, and but always don't let the doctor give you the death sentence, you know. If a doctor gives you a death sentence, stand on faith and say, you know what, I know who I serve and who my father is and that he is a healer. Don't let that be your death sentence. When the Lord decides to tell you it's time to come home, that is who the one should be telling you to that it's time. So... Um, pretty much there's the man with leprosy and continuing on. Then we see this, this man, you know, Jesus goes into Capernaum and there's a centurion. He is not Jewish. He's a Gentile. He, he says to him, um, he, he says to him, Lord, you know, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus is okay and going, okay, I'll go heal him. And the centurion, he's just like, no, you know, don't come. Don't come to my roof. You know, just, just say the word, you know. And, you know, he uses this imagery that, you know, he tells his people to go. They go and tell them to come and they come. And he just has this attitude of faith that whatever Jesus says is going to happen. And... It, it, Jesus goes, wow, you know, I've not seen anybody in Israel with such faith as this. And, um, you know, he, and he pretty much, he kind of gives this, this prophecy about, you know, that Gentiles are going to come and, and be in the kingdom as well. And he just ends up saying, okay, you know, go, it'll be done just as you believed it would, you know, and sometimes our faith is saying, okay, God, um, have your way in me, have your way in my heart. And so I just want, you know, to say, you know, you know, just going and just saying, you know, Sometimes our faith is, you know, just like Abraham believing when we don't see, you know, the promises being fulfilled, you know, going and believing, you know, and, and just saying, Lord, it's just as you said it, it would be. And, and standing on that faith that he's going to do as he says he's going to do. And so, you know. That's pretty much the daily reading for today. And so for tomorrow, um, we're supposed to read um, Genesis 24, verses 1 through 67. Um, Psalm chapter 8, one, ver or Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. Proverbs 1, verses 32 through 33. 
in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 through 34. And as always, I am going to end with a prayer. And I just pray today, Lord Jesus, I just thank you, God, for your word that is true. And that, Lord, we can stand in faith because you are the same today as you were yesterday. And you're going to be the same tomorrow. Lord, I just pray that our faith would begin to increase, that, Lord, we would begin to read your word. We begin to be in prayer with you and that we would stand on the rock, which is Jesus. And even when the storms of life come, Lord, that our faith will not falter, Lord God, but that we would stand on what your word says, on what you have said through through the prophets, through through Jesus himself and and even in the stories that we read of the faith of so many patriarchs, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we would stand on these promises and, and boldly declare them and believe them. And that, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just heal many that need healing. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just, we just know that by your stripes we are healed. And we just pray for those who need a physical healing, that need an emotion, emotional healing. Lord, lift bondages off of people, Lord. And I just praise you, God. We give you the glory. And that we just thank you in Jesus' name. Have a great day, you guys. Mm-hmm.